In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. A lot has transpired in the chapters between last Sunday's Old Testament lesson and this one. Uh, To summarize hastily, uh, we see in today's lesson, David experiencing the pain and conflict of the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Nathan, that the sword would not depart from his house. His son Absalom uh, rebels against David. He, he stages a coup, and our lesson picks up at a great battle where 20,000 men of Israel, as distinct from the men of Judah, these men were a part of Absalom's rebellion, 20,000 men are slain. Now David had given instruction saying, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. But as Absalom was fleeing the battle on a mule, he rides under an oak tree and he gets his head caught in between the branches so that he was suspended in the air. The, The text says that he was suspended between heaven and earth. So men of Judah come upon Absalom in his precarious state, but they don't touch him on account of David's command. But when they tell Joab, the commander of David's army, he goes to Absalom. He takes three javelins, as if one is not enough, right? And he thrusts him through the heart, and he dies. Now, as we heard in the lesson, uh, this, uh, the Cushite brings word to King David of the victory, that this rebellion has been put down. And in a way, reminiscent of when the messenger comes and tells uh, David about Saul's death, he's expecting the king's going to receive this as good news. He even says, good news for my lord, the king. But then David, upon learning that his rebellious son Absalom had died. He cries out, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, when you read back through this saga of David and his sons, I think you could say that there were some paternal missteps on the part of David, that he's not keeping his, his house uh, in order. But on the whole, I would interpret David's actions, especially if we're thinking about David's actions and, and how do they prefigure and point to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I would interpret them as mercy rather than weakness. I think we see in David, especially in the way that David deals with his enemies, which in this case is his own son, we see the heart of God. We see Jesus who mourned over the unbelief of Israel, who who wept over Jerusalem, who cried out on behalf of those who were crucifying him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In David, 
a man after God's own heart, we see the heart of God, that God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see this in David because David loved his wayward son, even though his son wanted him dead. David says again in his lament, Would I have died instead of you? Would I have died instead of you? Now, David, we know, did not die instead of his son. But the son of David, Jesus Christ, did die in the stead of God's wayward children. David points to the son of David who died in our stead while we were in rebellion to God, while we were at enmity with God. What does Romans 5, 8 say? But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. By the death of Jesus, we have life. He died in our stead so that we could have life. And this life, which is the life of Christ, the life that we're given in him is his life. And this sharing in his life is given to us in the Holy Eucharist. From today's gospel, John six fifty one, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That which was accomplished by the sacrificial death of Jesus, the trampling down of death and sin and Satan for starters. And I say for starters because the meaning and value of Jesus' death, the benefits of his passion are inexhaustible. But the victory which he won the sacrifice which he offered, we get in on that. It is that the achievement of Christ is given to us in the Holy Eucharist because, because that's how sacrifices work. Because we don't live in a sacrificial, <laughs> occultic society in a, in a literal way. I don't think any of us maybe ever offered like an animal sacrifice or, you know, Maybe. We all, we all went to college. I won't put it past any of you. But you share in the achievement of a sacrifice. This is how sacrifices work. You, you share in the achievement of a sacrifice. You participate in its benefits. Its benefits are appropriated to you by eating. St. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians, a letter which is largely concerned with the sacramental life. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And then listen to this. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? This gift of the Holy Eucharist that which Jesus is expounding on in the bread of life discourse. And you can see Jesus in John 6 saying the same thing in, in various and sundry ways so that they get it. In the Holy Eucharist, it's the way that we get in on what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That the achievement and the benefits are, are given to us in the sacrament. Thus, the Holy Eucharist, I like to say this, because I think it's helpful. I mean, one of the, the great controversies of the church over the last 500 years is whether or not the Eucharist itself, the Mass, is a sacrifice. Because, of course, there's a concern of, you know, Jesus died once for all. So are, are we crucifying Christ again in the Holy Eucharist, in the Mass, in the Lord's Supper? I'll, did I miss any other names for, for this? <laughs> it's not a re repetition of the sacrifice of Christ. But the Holy Eucharist is a repeated participation in the unique, one-off unrepeatable achievement of Christ at Calvary. We are, and, and if we could understand this, it would, it would transform our worship, but we are in this gift. We're brought to the foot of Calvary. And it is at the full foot of Calvary that we receive the forgiveness of sins and all other benefits of his passion. When I'm teaching children about the Holy Eucharist, and I'm particularly this principle of participation in a sacrifice by way of eating, uh, it means sort of a complex, abstract thing to grasp, especially given our historical and cultural uh, position. But how, but how I begin with children, a lot of times with adults as well, I begin with natural nutrition and eating. And kids these days, I've found uh, even very young children are much more conscious of nutrition uh, than those of us who grew up in the 80s or maybe before, where it was, you know, Fruit Loops, Cocoa, Cocoa Puffs every day, Frosted Flakes. So, so I'll ask them, and they can do this. I'll ask them to name some healthy foods. And then I'll ask them, for example, okay, someone will say oranges, yeah, well, what's good about orange? Well, it has vitamin C. What does that do for it? It does this and this and this. Okay, great. I'll ask them, how do you get the vitamin C from the orange into you? How, does, how do the macro and micro, micronutrients in that orange benefit you? And even a five-year-old at that point will roll his or her eyes and say, well, duh, Father Matt, by eating it.
but so are we nourished in the spiritual life with the spiritual food of Christ's most precious body and blood. This is uh, a little cheesy and perhaps even crude, but, but if you go back and you read 1 Corinthians and, and, and read Paul's language uh, about the Eucharist and this, this sharing and this communion and this fellowship and this oneness of the body of Christ— which is actualized in the sacrament because we partake of one body and one cup, that we become in practice the mystical body of Jesus. I do think it's consonant with the old adage that you are what you eat. You become what you eat. And, and Christ mystically, um, sacramentally, supra-rationally. It's beyond understanding. He gives us the very gift of himself, his body, soul, and divinity and the gift of the Holy Eucharist. So brothers and sisters, let us give thanksgiving for the love and goodness of God that he desires not the death of sinners, but rather that through the death of Jesus Christ, all may come to repentance and pass from death unto life. Let us give thanks that Christ, while we were yet sinners, died in our stead so that we could be reconciled to God. And let us give thanks and stand in awe of the gift of the most holy sacrament, which is the gift of Christ himself, whereby we are united with him, wherein we receive the forgiveness of sins and all other benefits of his passion. Amen.